Seltzer Kings Podcasts. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What does an 18-year veteran of the tech industry and a 20-year veteran of the military have in common? More than you might think. Welcome everyone to the, the Second, Second Act, Act Podcast. Podcast. Leveling up your life's journey. Hey Michael, how you doing man? I'm doing well. I am doing well. I uh, I am I'm super excited about yet another guest on our show today. Welcome everyone back to the Second Act podcast with Michael and John. In this episode, we are excited to be joined by Ann Mole, a lifelong resident of Pennsylvania. Ann spent 34 years as an elementary and middle school music teacher who recently retired from her field of expertise, but keeps active as a choir singer in her local community and church. Post-retirement, Anne has also followed her passion for writing, where she's been leveraging all the modern day learning tools available to improve her writing skills. Yeah, and I, we don't, we don't give our teachers in this world enough recognition. I know, John, your wife is a, is a teacher. My mom uh, is a first grade teacher for 40 years we sort of lose sight on how important a role uh, teachers play in the in the development uh, and success of of those that that go through their classes over the years. Uh, so first, a big thank you to all the teachers out there, um, and specifically, Anne, yeah, thank you for your contributions to to the arts, uh, music specifically. It's an important dimension to the creative side of people's brains and the way they think and, and plays both direct and indirect um, roles in, in the development of, of students. But um, what's kind of most interesting about this story today and our guest, Anne, is that as John and I were building out the second act, we were searching for URLs or, or the web addresses you use for, for business. And those are really hard to find nowadays because millions of people on any given day are, are buying up website names. So as we were doing that for the business, we came across uh, second act stories. We were like, hey, that might be a good fit for our business, but it was already taken. So this URL is owned, up and running. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And came across Anne and, and what she's about. And uh, she's very much on her second act. And that's how our paths have crossed. So it's exciting to be talking with her, learning a little bit more about um, her second act in life. Uh, and as we uh, get into that in a little bit, uh, I just want to share a bit more about Anne. Outside of work, she spends time with her husband of 26 years. Congratulations. That is <laughs> quite the stretch. Uh, and you have wow. two, two fur awesome. babies, yes. uh, West Highland white terriers 
That's um, correct. I'm sure they keep you busy. I have a Wheaton Terrier myself, so uh, very familiar with the Terrier breed. They are, they can be stubborn. Uh, I don't know if you have that experience. Anne. Oh yes, yeah. so we're hoping to keep them on mute for the duration <laughs> yeah. of this. Yeah, but we talk a lot about finding our purpose, following your passion, doing things to make yourself better every day, and and your background embodies all of that. So all that said. John and I want to give you a big welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to come on and, and join us. Thank you. I'm delighted for the opportunity. So we want to jump into some Q&A. Uh, you guys, John, and you ready to do it? Sure. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's jump into it. So, Anne, uh, I understand you were born and raised in, in Pennsylvania. So tell us about growing up in a small town and some of the early childhood memories that helped shape who you are today. I think I grew up in the quintessential mid 20th century American small town blue collar. I mean, it was a very much a front porch community. Um, we all knew each other. It was supported at that time by factories and small independently owned businesses. And it was, um, it was a very nurturing environment. Um, I lived half a block away from my father's parents who I spent a great deal of time with my best friend that I grew up with across the street is still my best friend some <clears throat> 60 wow. years later. So relationships uh, run deep. I think the town is was fiercely protective of its own and perhaps less, less open to newcomers <laughs> and new ideas. Um, but I'm also finding a great deal of story material from those years and from the kind of community that I was very fortunate to grow up in. You know, we, we kids ran the streets without fear and knew someone on every block. So we had, we had parents and friends everywhere. And it was, again, it was close knit and um, the relationships formed there have lasted a long time. That's awesome. How, how big a town are we talking about? About 12,000. Okay. Um, and obviously it is, it has changed in those years. I mean, like so many communities, uh, industries left, um, it is not the same place, sadly, that it was. Um, mm. There are efforts to, to rebuild, to reinvigorate. Um, there is a great deal of history in the community, particularly Civil War history, mm. but it is... Uh, it's landlocked. The school district is limited as far as uh, tax base, okay. and there have been some significant struggles in yeah. in the years since I was there as a child. But it's it's a common. I mean, it it's happening. It's happened everywhere across the country. Yeah. And what what town is it in Pennsylvania? Columbia, Pennsylvania. It's um, halfway between Lancaster, maybe about sixty miles west of Philadelphia. Um, about an hour or so okay. north of Baltimore, located in South Central. So a little little bedroom community out there that More people or less, can yes. back and forth to Philadelphia from, huh? Uh, not so much that, more so perhaps Lancaster, Hershey, as in Hershey Chocolate, okay. is nearby, Gettysburg. Um, it would be about two hours to Philadelphia. I, I may have driven through Columbia, Pennsylvania at some point that I don't recall, um, but I, I do recall spending some time in Lancaster, uh, and experiencing 
uh, the Amish history there right. and uh, some of the the best family style food. I mean, for oh, yeah. the table right there. <laughs> and Good place for carb loading. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and Hershey, Pennsylvania, I've been to as well. And there's the Hershey theme park and, and a, an abundance of chocolate uh, right. uh, there. So, uh, yeah, that's a great part of the country. Well, I'm going to give... I'm going to give a shout out to my business partner on the commercial development side, real estate commercial development. And uh, he is from Lancaster and has done projects in there and in Columbia. So I know the area well. I've been out there a bunch and and it's a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. area. It is, yeah. It's a river town. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's a lovely setting. Yeah. So 30, 34 years committed to education in the field of music. That's that's dedication. Um, <laughs> tell us more about your your passion for music and uh, some of your childhood memories that led you into this field and specifically the field of music. Well, I think um, to some degree, my, my grandmother, again, was an influence. She was a, a product of the late Victorian era, and you know she believed that all little girls should learn to play the piano. So um, it was kind of at her encouragement that I started piano lessons and I did fairly well with it. And then I started playing flute in the school band and, um, you know, achieved a a reasonable amount of success. I enjoyed it a lot. It became like anything. It became sort of a lifestyle. There were private lessons and rehearsals and practicing, and it, it just became sort of my thing. Um, and at that time, what do you do with, with that lifestyle? Well, you go into music education, um, as you, you know, go through these various honors, bands and orchestras, I think, to be honest, I think at times it can give you a skewed perspective on how good you are. Cause it's a really big world out there like anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was by no means a, a performance based music education major. I was interested in in working with kids. Uh, my mother had been a teacher. There were other people in my family, aunts and uncles. And at that time, you know, high school guidance departments were somewhat limited. You know, you went to college or you went to trade school or you went into the military. It wasn't like you really had a lot of, of career counseling. Um, And looking back, I mean, I was torn between English and journalism and music ed, but I think because I had been so immersed in the musical world, that just felt like that's where I should be headed. And it was, I did, I, I was not, (laughs) I was not a violin major. I was actually flute, piano, and voice and ended up in a job um, teaching strings and I still think that I was initially hired because they were trying to kill the program. <laughs> and it it ended up uh, by hiring someone who really wasn't well-versed in that aspect of music education. And and the first few years were, it was rough. I would not want to relive those again because it was, you always learn on the job, but this was, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. But I, I persevered and the school district persevered and I had wonderful mentors and the program grew and they also eventually hired two other strings teachers and we all brought different strengths to the job. We all had different things that collaboratively we, we had a really, really outstanding program. It it took time. 
Um, but the three of us work together most of the time <laughs> as a cohesive unit. And um, it was uh, it was really a joy to be part of that program. And, and to this day, it is still thriving. That's another good thing. When you leave your job and other people come in and can do it as well, if not better, yep. that's really rewarding. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Ann, you, you hit on a, a point that I wanted to stop and, and discuss for a second. You know, when building out teams, whether it's team of teachers at a school, whether it's a team in sports or in business, you know, what we gravitate to is typically we gravitate to other people like us with the same strengths and weaknesses, but it's important. And you just alluded to that to bring in people that have different strengths than yourself, because that's, what's going to fill those gaps and fill those holes and make the team so much stronger. Absolutely. If everybody's got the same strengths, you're going to be weak somewhere else. But if you can find those people that have the strengths that you don't have, and you can recognize that both in introspectively to, to yourself and, and with the other individuals, man, how much stronger is that team? And you just said it yourself, the team is, you know, the, the program is still there and it's still thriving. So just wanted to elaborate on that. Yeah, it worked. We had, we had three different personalities and, um, it, it just, and different kids responded to different ones of us, but it, it just, it worked. Sadly, one of those individuals who I always called the pain in the behind brother I never had has, has passed. <laughs> He, we lost him to um, pancreatic cancer within a few months of his retirement, and it was it was heartbreaking for all of us. And yeah. we had an incredible celebration of life with like 200 of his former students coming back to play oh, in the really? orchestra. And yeah, so it was those were it was a wonderful it was a wonderful 34 years, despite some of the effects <laughs> of public education. It was still. Yeah. Um, it was the right career choice. It was. And and when you started, it sounded like it was a, a bit of a mess. Um, and you it was. came in. <laughs> but you you weren't deterred by that in any way. You almost saw it as a challenge you wanted to solve. And, and maybe that's because um, you had a passion for music. Tell, tell us in the audience about, uh, you know, seeing the opportunity through that chaos and, and why you wanted to persevere to make that, you know, world-class program at the school you were at? Well, I think kind of my philosophy in, in music education in general is that, especially in a public school setting, we're, we're not necessarily training conservatory soloists. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not what I don't think public school music is all about. We're, we're encouraging and inspiring the future consumers of the arts. And we're teaching that no matter what profession or, or job or lifestyle you choose, the arts are just, they're so life enriching, especially mm -hmm. with some of what we live with in, in the world today. Um, the arts are absolutely essential. And honestly, some of the students that I perhaps had the most connection with and where I saw saw that really being exemplified were not necessarily the first chair rock star players. 
But those students who sat in the back of the section and yeah, their bowing was always off a little bit and they weren't, they knew they were never going to play a solo, but they were there every week and they loved it. And they came and when the kids come and start hanging out in your room when they don't have to, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah. So I think it's reaching. Yeah. It's great to have phenomenal soloists and, and kids that are, you know, going on to, uh, you know, incredible careers. And we we had our share of those, but it's the, the lifting up of, of maybe those who are not going to be the best players or the most outstanding performers. And what's really rewarding, and I see this when I go back, a friend and I that both taught together go back and help in the fall when they're doing recruiting and all of the rigmarole that goes on with rentals. We see the children of our students and even a few <laughs> grandchildren. So wow. seeing that, um, that the parents want their child to have the same experience that they did, and they'll come up to me and say, I remember when I started in fourth grade. You know, that's that's what it's all about. It, it's keeping this, yeah. this art, this beauty in the world mm-hmm. alive for everyone, not just the people that are going to make a career of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Anne, you know, you, you spend 34 years doing music and making impacts in these kids' lives and just being in the day-to-day and, um, you know, being somebody that these kids can count on year after year. Then you make the decision to retire. So how did you come upon that that decision because that can't be an easy decision at any point. Well, yes, yes and no. Um, there's fortunately in, in Pennsylvania, there, there is an excellent retirement system through the state for teachers. You reach a point where, um, of course the school board from the fiscal aspect, they, they want to encourage those senior, more expensive teachers to move on. So there, there's, you know, there's a financial reality to it. Um, there was a phase when both my husband, who's also a retired music educator, there was a, a time period when, and I may remember this, there was so much emphasis on standardized testing. I mean, we we went like yeah. overboard on this, and the arts took a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a hit from from funding. It took a hit just simply from, you know, we couldn't get kids coming to rehearsals and lessons because, oh, you've got to stay for remediation or we've got this test and that. I mean, it was just, it was not an easy time um, to be working in in the arts, in public education. Did that play into the timing? Perhaps a little. I know it certainly did in my husband's case, but, and I think we've come back a little bit. I, I think we've I think COVID sort of maybe reconfigured our our, uh, perspective in a lot of things. But there was a time when it just felt like everyone was frustrated. You know, the music teachers, the parents, the students, it it was a struggle. And that was occurring at about the time that the two of us had actually retired at the same time. Um, But yeah, I mean, there was a financial reality to it. And there's... There's an advantage to to being able to step back from your full-time work in your late 50s when you hopefully are are still well and and vibrant and you have opportunities to to do other things. So that was that was part of the 
the decision to. Not easy, um, but I knew at the time that um, I was leaving the program in good hands. My colleague that we've since lost, but he had taken over some aspects of the program because they made cuts. They were they were cutting staffing, and and you know we were this again was something that was happening all across the country in arts programs. Fortunately, yeah. our district has come back from it, but it was it was not easy. Yeah. Yeah, it, and it's it's a shame that over the years the the arts departments are the ones that have made some of the bigger sacrifices in terms of the educational curriculum because uh, it's such a an important dimension um, to how people think and create and and do things. Uh, I do hope that that trend is reversing at my son's school they put it in the category of essentials there's actually an essential an essentials track for uh art and music um so that people uh the children develop that part of their brain and uh, which helps them in a number of other ways but i will say you know where you came in and where you left there's a, there's a saying i like to use and it's leave it better than you found it right and I try to apply that mindset with all the things that I pursue uh, or I'm tasked to do. And it sounds like, you know, you've applied that in your world, um, creating this amazing music program and, and leaving it in a state that, you know, it's all not going to fall apart now that you're gone. It's, it's sustainable right. and, um, and has made an impact. So that's, that's really awesome, man. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So you retire from music, jump into writing as your second act, and you launch secondactstories.com and start your path of learning how to be a great writer. Tell us a little bit about this. The writing interest has always been there. And, and I even occasionally used it when I was teaching, whether if we needed a script to, to enhance a concert or if my colleague who tended to get a bit volatile at times was ready to fire off a letter to the school board because he was angry about something, I'd say, let me have it. Let me, let me tone it. You know? So, I mean, it's always been there. I, even back in college, I was very interested. I took all of the electives that I could um, with, you know, with a, a music curriculum. Um, I had an English professor who, inspired and motivated me and tried really hard <laughs> to entice me over to the dark side, so to speak. And, um, but, uh, so it's always been there. And, uh, I just, I saw yeah. retirement as an opportunity to say, okay, um, it's, it's time, it's time to write. And I, I kind of just sort of struck out randomly going out online and, and, finding classes and, um, you know, just experimenting with different forms. And I knew I didn't want to really want to get into a degree program. 
I kind of carved my own sort of educational world Mm -hmm. um, with learning to do this. The blog I see as comparable to practicing scales and etudes as a musician. It's just something to to use a more on a more regular basis, something I don't really uh, go through great revision and editing processes. It's whatever random thing happens to cross my mind that that you know I say, you know, I could talk about that. But the blog was sort of a it's it's a it's a practice pad, so to speak. Um and I, I do obviously work on other more lengthy, more intense essays and, um, you know, personal essay and memoir. But the blog, um, I wish I put together, which doesn't probably won't surprise you with the help of somebody under 30, because I had no <laughs> clue what I was doing constructing a website. And it desperately needs to be upgraded. And I have a contact, I think, who's going to help me with that. But um, it was just a way to, to start. So, and that's become your springboard to other things. Tell us about, I, I know you've joined some groups. You, you've shared with me before we uh, scheduled this episode that um, you're getting some expert advice now. You might even have some things published. Yes. Well, I, I worked briefly with a mentor uh, in Lancaster and would take pieces to her and we would go through them and edit them. And then I had had a piece published with a woman who has a lit journal out of Chicago and she also does coaching and she and I um, have developed a really great relationship. We've, we've met in person several times. She's come into Lancaster for um, a writing conference. So we stay in close touch. And even now when I have something that I, I really think has some potential, but I need feedback. Um, you know, we kind of have a, a student teacher relationship there. And it, I will say it has been wonderful, rejuvenating to be a student again, to mm-hmm. be on the other side of that uh, world um, of, of, of being a rookie or what the profession <laughs> they call an emerging writer. That's okay, even at my age, <laughs> you know, to, to be learning. And, and it's, it's just... It's life affirming and life enhancing to to be a learner. To I, I would say, don't ever be afraid to be a beginner at something. You know that's been really a powerful uh, impact I've had with with this whole learning to write or learning to improve my writing. Yeah, I, I mean, John and I can certainly relate to you in terms of being an, a learner again, neither one of us have a an extensive background in podcasting or online media. John's a 20-year veteran of the Marine Corps, and I've got 18 years with the tech industry. Um, but we, you know, to your point, we've put in the effort and tried to learn through the numerous right. channels now that exist to learn anything in any format uh, that works best for you. And you brought up the idea or, or having a coach um, as someone not only for advice, but uh, that can be, you know, your accountability buddy. Like when you mm-hmm. tell someone that you're going to do something and you, you create it and they critique it, it's uh, it's helpful in that process as well. Absolutely. Yep. And someone that you feel comfortable with and that, that your relationship, you can, you can have 
criticism without feeling, you know, destroyed or, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of the process making mistakes. And like I said, I have a nice list of rejections on my submittable account, but that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Well, and you, to me, you seem like, you know, you're, you're wired for this creative work and we've got a lot of listeners who are starting, you know, something else or ending a, a career and, and trying to pursue, you know, what their second act is. And so for the people who are contemplating that jump or just getting started, that maybe not may not be as creative as you are, what are some of the things that you recommend they they think about or they consider before taking that plunge? Well, it I think it's sort of a cliche, but I, I think you need to follow your passion. I mean, if there's something sort of niggling at you, if there's something that's always in the background saying, hey, you want to try this? You know, I mean, I, I think you need to listen to that voice. You have to know that that there's something there and, you know, it may not work out. I don't know. Uh, but you have to, if there's something there that you've always wanted to try, it, don't say, oh, I'm too old. Or, I mean, I, I have people that I know that, are, that start instruments as adults and, and love it and, and play in little pickup groups and, and find a whole new world, um, that way. And I've found it in the in the writing community. So I think that's one of the things is, is to listen to your own inner voice and, and, and what it's telling you that, and if there's something that, you know, you feel you have an affinity for or an ability for, give it a shot. Um, I think, from a more practical aspect. I mean, in my case, I was, I'm writing because I love it. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily looking for compensation. I mean, if you're looking for another career, you know, um, in order to maintain your lifestyle or to, to get a different, you know, type of a salary job, that that's a different story. And that puts, you know, it puts a little different, um, perspective on it. But if it's something that you want to do or, and find, find people who can help you. And that's one of the joys of the internet is, is there are a lot of people out there. I I've, I've had great classes. I've had group sessions, um, online and, um, yeah, most of, most of the way that I find places to publish, is through um, blogs and sites. And, and there's, like I said, I, I think I mentioned in our phone conversation, there's a, a conference that's held in Lancaster in the late summer. They haven't had it since COVID. I think they're going to try to reactivate it this summer, but it's called Hippocamp. The, the publication is an online creative nonfiction group called Hippocampus. And in the late summer, they have a conference that's completely dedicated to folks like me who write creative nonfiction, personal essay and memoir. And what a welcoming community. The first time I went, I thought, I'm not a real writer. I don't belong here. <laughs> but that's not the way I was made to feel. Everyone, whether you were published with awards or just starting out, there were opportunities to learn and connect. So I think finding finding your tribe yep. that uh, can help focus what you want to do, 
to help educate you, to point you in the right direction. I, I think that's essential is, is to find that tribe, find those folks. Absolutely. The, the right community um, makes all the difference. And a lot of people are afraid of rejection. They're afraid of failure. Um, and even before they get started, those moments of excitement, they can talk themselves out of anything because all this self-doubt yes. uh, and fear creeps in. And then they're just like, no, I'm not even going to try. Yes. Yes. That's well And that, you know, you have that in the musical world too, but yeah. Yeah. You, you have to overcome that beating yourself up all the time. And, and we all do it. I mean, it's, yep. it's, it's part of being human, Absolutely. you know, it, it, it's, well, I get that third reject, rejection on the same piece that I really thought was like, but then that also inspires to, to go back and say, okay, well, what can I do to make this better? And, and I had that experience with, um, a piece that was for me was published in a very prestigious journal just this past November. And I had submitted it to other places and I'd submitted it to one publication and the editor got right back to me and gave me some really helpful information instead of just a form. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, yeah. she said, what if you did this, this, and this, and I did those things and ended up publishing it in publication where I was really proud of it. But again, there was someone there who took the time to say, I can help you with this. And I wouldn't have experienced that if I wouldn't have taken the chance of submitting yeah. that piece to that particular editor. Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of a mathematical way to think about risk return uh, in, in dealing with the unknown, trying something new and getting over that hump of fear of failure or fear of rejection is right. whether it's one person, 10 people, a hundred people, if, if you've got a hundred rejections, there's 8 billion people on the earth. It's, if you were to do the math, those data points or opinions are really irrelevant. Right. Um, again, coming back to your point, finding your community, finding those people who are going to extend a handout and help you think through things, give you constructive feedback uh, it may not always be the things you want to hear, but they want to see you do better. Those are the people that you lean into um, to move forward. Absolutely. They tell you you're supposed to strive for 100 rejections a year because if you're not, <laughs> seriously, I mean, it, that means you're writing. That means you're yeah. you're 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 sending it out there. And you know, the first time I heard that, I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> but there's there's wisdom in that. Yeah. So, Anne, as we as we wrap things up here, we've we've solved all the technical issues. We've got to know you a little bit. We've learned some of your your life story here, which has really been fascinating. Do you have any final thoughts or advice uh, that you want to share with the audience um, before we we start to wrap things up? Well, I just think for me, the writing experience has also as as I as I experience this, and again, I do write personal essay, I write memoir, I'm, I'm discovering things about myself. And I find that as I put more of myself and take some emotional risk in what I'm writing, it gets better. So there's, there's a personal spiritual path on, on what I'm choosing to do. So that, you know, depending on what your interests are or where you're going, it, 
that can be life enhancing beyond just producing a product or uh, or gaining an experience. But I've found that, um, I wouldn't say it's soul searching, but kind of digging a little underneath the surface, which is not not my typical modus operandi. Um, I tend to keep things sort of under tight wraps. But that's been that's been good. It's been good to to get lost in something. Like there are times I'm working on a piece. And it's like, do I really need to make supper now? You know, it. That's been exciting to to get wrapped up in something that you sort yeah. of lose. You know, so don't be afraid. Again, don't be afraid to be a beginner, and and don't be afraid to just good. take that step. Just go for it and see what happens. That is a great, that those are some great final thoughts. Thank you. Share. Yeah. Well, Anne, having the second act with Michael and myself collide with secondactstories.com and this conversation was (laughs) uh, so much fun. It was incredible. So thank you for agreeing to jump on with us today. If people want to find you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, secondactstories.com. And again, I hope within the next month or two to be updating the site with uh, some links to published works that are accessible online. Not all of them are, but some are. Um, again, I am a somewhat of a neophyte when it comes to tech, and I, I tread carefully um, trying to avoid trolls and other unwanted <laughs> hangers on of the internet. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I need to, I need to work on expanding <laughs> the site, but secondactstories.com is, okay. is the site. And I have quite a collection there, which may at some point come together in some kind of a, a publication. We'll see. I was looking at some of those today, but that's, that's Love the that. best way. And they're random. They're just, their thoughts from, and the other thing I've found too about writing is it's be, I've become heightened sensitivity to the world around me. I'm always listening and looking for sometimes things that happen in the humblest settings that are powerful. They, they tell us who we are as humans, um, simple things that are just, that's been, that's been very rewarding and very enriching for me. Cause I'll look at something it's something as simple as a conversation in a doctor's waiting room or a bouquet of flowers at the hairstylist it, that I found a whole story behind those simple things. So it, it's helped to develop a positivity and a, an appreciation for, for life and for what we, we hold together as, as humans. It, and I think that's, that's desperately needed right now. Uh, it just, um, so that's been a real, real up, real positive for, for my experience with, with this writing. Yeah. M- mindfulness and, and being more yeah. present. I think people are becoming more aware of being more present, which is a, is a step in the right direction. Now we right. just have to get there um, with all the technology distractions that exist today uh, that take our attention and a gazillion different directions, but, um, and I, uh, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day and talking with us. You know, we look forward to seeing more of your published work in the, in the months and years ahead. We'll definitely be checking out secondactstories.com uh, to see what's, 
what's new uh, and available to the masses. Um, and we'll also be sure to include links um, to your information in the episode details. Great. Thank you so much. And I apologize for all the technical issues. I don't know. I, we thought we were ready, <laughs> but obviously we weren't. <laughs> yeah. It, it just comes with the territory and it uh, don't don't worry at all about it. Um, and yeah, for, for our audience out there, we look forward to connecting with you uh, again next week. The second act with Michael and John stars Michael Newborn and John Ballinger. Podcast is produced by Seltzer Kings. For more information on the show, check out michaelandjohn.com. Or if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, give the guys a shout on their socials at the second act with Michael and John on most platforms. Thanks for listening. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.